I'm preaching this summer on spirit-filled family living. And I've got to tell you, as I've always said throughout the series, that I am learning so much about life from this series. And I know that uh, people go to hear a preacher and they think, well, you know, a lot of people think preachers have all the answers. Well, if you have the Word of God, you have the answers in your hand. But I'll tell you what, I have flesh just as you have flesh, and I, I struggle with these same things. And I'm learning so much. To be honest with you, I wish I could back up in time in the early days of my marriage and parenting and understand the principle that we're laying down here. Because I, as I look back, uh, you know, there were ethics, there was the Word of God. I tried to do the things that I thought were best and right. But what a powerful understanding that we're gaining in this series, the principle which is in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, where the Bible says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, his flesh, his carnal nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And we've been talking throughout this whole series about the difference between the flesh and the spirit. The flesh is the old nature that you were born with, you inherited. It is the old self. We, we saw that term last week. It is that part of you that is the product of the fall in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. We have a nature within us. We have a force within us that is predisposed towards sin. It is not aimed toward God. And that is why if you've never been saved, you must be saved. It isn't enough to just pick on, uh, t- take on some new ideas and new thoughts and pick up some new habits. It isn't enough to do that. Uh, unless you are saved, trying to fit in in church, trying to read your Bible, uh, trying to pray is like cosmetizing a corpse. Uh, it may look good for a while, and it might even, you might even be able to fool people that someone is just sleeping But in reality, a corpse is a corpse. And if you have not been saved, all you have is your old nature. That is the only thing that you you have. But when a person is born again, a person comes to life spiritually. And in, in practical terms, what happens is the Holy Spirit of God moves in. Suddenly, you don't have one inner force. You have two inner forces. You have the old nature, the old carnal flesh that the Bible calls it. That's that nature that's still predisposed towards sin. But you also have the Spirit of God. A child of God is a dichotomy in that sense, that we have two natures. And the challenge for us, from the point of salvation on, is to sow to the Spirit. Remember, every thought we have, every action that we perform, every attitude that we hold is a seed. We are either sowing that seed toward the old nature or the Holy Spirit of God. And so, what we have been seeing is that if we sow to the flesh there is going to be a harvest of death. Whenever we sow consistently to our old nature, something is going to die. Maybe it'll be a relationship. Perhaps it'll be an opportunity. It might even be the favor of God. I'll tell you, I don't want to ever lose God's favor. When God's hand is upon you and God is blessing you, no matter what the world does or what Satan does, when God's hand is on you and you have God's favor, that's a wonderful thing. A child of God cannot lose his salvation, but he can lose the favor of God. So, you know, there are deaths that happen in a Christian's experience. It could be the death of a relationship. It could be the death of, a, of, a opportunity, of an opportunity. It could even be the death of a marriage. Everything that's going on in your life right now, the snapshot that you see is a result of the seed that someone has sown and the seed that you've sown. 
And what you're doing right now is you're dropping seed in the soil of your life, either to the flesh, the old nature, or the Holy Spirit, that is going to result in a harvest someplace out in the future. That's the challenge. The challenge is to live our lives in the Spirit. Now, the last time I preached to you, I preached from the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And we noted that there were three commands that God gives to every Christian. The first command is to put off the old self. That's the old person that we were before we were saved. He's still there, but the challenge is to put him off. Just as you would take off a soiled or dirty or sweaty shirt. You know, after you've been working in the yard all day or perhaps uh, in your career, you, you get pretty messy. And you get home and the first thing you want to do is to get off those old dirty clothes and get a shower and put on some fresh clothes. That's what the Holy Spirit is telling us here. Put off the old self like a filthy garment. And then the second command is to be made new. What does it mean to be made new? Every child of God is somebody new in Jesus Christ. You have a new identity. You have a new family. You have a new situation. You have a new relationship with God. So as I understand it, when the Bible says to be made new, that means to accept our new identity in Jesus Christ. You know, if you used to be a drunkard, you're not a drunkard anymore. That's one of the, I I really appreciate uh, AA and some of the other groups. And I think they do a lot of good work. And you know, when one of the things that they learn to quote is that they are an alcoholic. And I I, I don't want to get in their way, but I want to say something. If you're a born again child of God, if you used to be a drunkard, you're not a drunkard anymore. I mean, if you used to be a profligate person, you're not a profligate person anymore. You read the word of God on that. The Bible says, and such were some of you, but now you are washed. See, that's the thing. When the spirit of God moves into your life, you're a new person. Now, the challenge is in accepting who we are in Jesus Christ, because we still have the old flesh, the old carnal nature, and we want to run back and see ourselves the way we used to be. But accepting who we are in Jesus Christ comes down to believing the word of God. The Bible says, I'm a new man. The Bible says, I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. So I'm just going to believe that. I'm going to accept that. Yes, I know I still slip and fall and I'm not what I want to be. But praise God, I'm not what I used to be. And I'm, I'm going to accept who I am in Jesus Christ. The third command is something that we're engaged in the rest of our life. We've, we're putting off the old, old self. We're accepting who we are in God. And now we're going to start putting on the new self. We're going to get into the Word of God and discover how children of God, princes and princesses, are supposed to live. And so we're going to put off that old stuff, and now we're going to bring in this new uh, way of life, this, this new spiritual seed. Put off the old self, be made new, and put on the new self. That takes us up to today. Now, right after the Bible says that, it begins to get specific about what the old self is and what the new self is. What we're supposed to put off specifically. In other words, this is, con- this is consistent with the old self, so put it off. And this is consistent with the new self, so put it on. We've got the principle, put off the old self, be made new, put on the new self. And now the word of God is going to get real specific and say, put this off and put this on. With that in mind, let's go to the book of Ephesians chapter 4, where we left off last week, and pick up in verse 22. You were taught... With regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, now we're going to get specific. What is the first thing that God will tell us to put off, and what will He tell us to put on? Therefore, 
Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. There we are. The first thing, put off falsehood and speak truthfully. That's what we're going to talk about today. But before I get started, I want to show you something. You have your Bible open. You know, those of you who are Bible students, you know where we are in the Bible. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, uh, 1 Thessalonians, and so on. We are in what the Bible calls the church epistles. An epistle is just a letter. The Holy Spirit inspired these Bible writers to write these letters to churches. And so there's the church at Colossae, the church at Ephesus, the church at Philippi. That is how you get the names of these books. These are all letters from the Holy Spirit to people in the age of grace. Someone could say, Pastor, these letters were just for those specific churches. Not at all, because in many cases, these letters were cyclical churches. The letter was addressed to a particular church, but that was only the starting point for this letter because it was circulated among other churches. Beyond that, we're still living in the church age. So when you read Galatians, it might as well be written to the church at 12221st Street. Amen? Because it's written to us. So this is, this is great stuff that is written from the Holy Spirit to us for our age. Now, if you've been watching me pretty carefully, you've noticed that I've toggled back and forth between Ephesians and Galatians. And I do that because the theme is the same. This morning, I want us to introduce a new book to our study, the book of Colossians. Would you move over to that book now? And I think you're going to see that it's the same theme, the same message. Somebody could say, well, Pastor Hoover, if it's all the same... Why do we need to look at three separate Bible books? Why don't we just stay in one book? Well, for one thing, I want you to see how often the Bible gives us this message about sowing to the flesh and sowing to the spirit and the battle between the flesh and the spirit. I want you to see that this is not just a single message to us in the New Testament, but it's a consistent message that permeates the whole uh, whole, uh, church epistle section of the Bible. This thing about flesh and spirit, putting off the old self, and putting on the new self. You know, I've talked to a lot of people who have the idea that the Bible is a complicated book. It is not a complicated book. It is a deep book. You could study it the rest of your life, every day, every hour, and not plumb its depths. But the Bible is a common sense book. I I love the song that Desiree sang a few moments ago, talking about how upside down the world is. Listen, The only people who have trouble understanding the Bible, the Word of God, are the people who have not been spiritually regenerated. Because if you're not spiritually regenerated, the Bible doesn't make any sense. Once you have the Holy Spirit in you, suddenly the Bible begins to make perfectly good sense. It is a wonderfully common sense book. There are themes that God states and states and restates so that we will not miss them. And it is that very thing that is leading me to show you these multiple texts in the New Testament to say, hey, I didn't just take one verse out of context. I'm showing you book by book by book that this is the message that God has for Messiah Baptist Church and for you personally. The second reason why I want you to see several books in the Bible saying this is that in each book it's explained just a little bit differently. That's the marvel of the Holy Spirit, just as in the Gospels. You have four stories of Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but each one takes a little bit of a different view. That's the beauty of the Word of God. We get it all. And unfortunately, the people back in the Bible days, they might have just gotten one of these letters, but we have all these letters. And we can back off and see the the nuances, the, the slight 
the slightly different approaches that the Holy Spirit takes with these letters. And as I study, this is helping me because sometimes I'll get into Ephesians and I'll scratch my head and I'll say, well, I'm not sure I get that. And I'll move over to Galatians and there it'll be. Or I'll move to Colossians and I'll see something that I was missing earlier. So I've given you that so that you will know why we're in Colossians chapter 3. And the reason why I'm here this morning is, and let me give you a clue, watch for the reasons why we are to put off the old self and put on the new self. The writer of Colossians gives us the whys, okay? We're going to read verses 1 through 10 in Colossians chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Did you see those two expressions, those two thoughts? Set your hearts on things above, the spiritual things. That's your affection. Your heart is your affections, the things that you love. And the Bible says, dial in the spiritual things of heaven, the things that are really valuable, and set your heart on those things. And now the Bible says, set your mind on those things. Dial in with your mind the things of God. That's what you're doing here. I pray in this service today. I pray that you're giving this time to the Holy Spirit and not to the project you have to tackle the morning or what's going to be for lunch this afternoon. That is setting your affections. And then the Bible says in verse 3, I love this, for you died. The old self is dead. You died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways of the life that you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. And here we go. Here's the specific. Do not lie to each other since you have, put off your, put, uh, uh, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Now, church, in both Ephesians and Colossians... As soon as the Holy Spirit gets specific about putting off the old self and putting on the new self, the subject is the same. Ephesians 4.25, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. Colossians 3.9, Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. I'm preaching this summer, as you know already, on spirit-filled family living. Planting seeds of the Spirit that result in a harvest of life. When the Holy Spirit gets specific about putting off the old self and putting on the new self, He is letting us know that if you want to have a harvest of life, you must sow the truth. That is why this morning I'm preaching a sermon called Planting Seeds of Truth. And very quickly, let me tell you, I'm not preaching about truth as our culture defines it because our culture has a truth of its own. And again, Desiree sang about that a moment ago. I'm not talking about truth even as you and I define it. I'm talking about truth as it is intrinsically in Jesus Christ. Now, what can we learn from God's Word this morning? Let's just back up and get started. Here we go. What can we learn from the Word of God about sowing seeds of truth? Number one, our text presents us with two undeniable conclusions. 
When the Bible tells us to put off falsehood and to tell the truth, there is no escaping the reality that truth exists. Truth exists. There is such a thing as truth. We live in a time where it's question and challenge, and there are people who don't think that there's absolute truth. I was listening to Warren Wiersbe, I think it was, who said that a young man came up to him after, uh, after he had been speaking you know, a Bible lesson, and the young man came up and said, I don't think anything, he said, nothing is absolutely true. And Wiersbe said, you just made an absolute statement. And the truth is, there are absolute truths. Truth does exist. And secondly, falsehood exists. Now, those of you who know, you've listened to me talk about uh, sermon preparation, you know that many times in a sermon, there's a great amount of material that doesn't make the cut and actually become part of the sermon. This might seem so elementary to you that you might say, Pastor Hoover, how did this make the cut? How did this get into the sermon this morning, this idea that truth exists and falsehood exists? In the last century, especially in America and Western Europe, we were pummeled with the idea that nothing is absolute. There is no absolute truth. Nothing is absolutely false. Everything is in some kind of shade of gray. Many of you who have been to universities could testify to this, that in your freshman year, you have to endure a crusade to strip you of the idea that anything is absolutely true. Primarily, the two ideas that have been advanced in our culture are as follows. Number one, situation ethics. In situation ethics, the situation dictates what is wrong and what is right, what is true and what is false. In other words, what might be unethical in one situation might be ethical if the dynamics of the situation were changed. And we certainly got a good dose of that during the scandal with President Clinton because the outcome of that scandal in our nation's culture, by and large summed up in one statement is, it's all right to lie about sex. Do you remember that? See, ordinarily we would say it's not right, but he was in a tough spot and people understand how that someone in that situation might not want to tell the truth because they would get themselves in a lot of trouble. So therefore we understand what he did because it's all right to lie about sex. The situation determined the ethics. And I preach this morning even to Christians because this campaign of situation ethics has become or has, has been really demonically successful in America. In the book, The Day America Told the Truth, the author says, he writes, 91% of those surveyed Americans lie routinely about matters they consider trivial. 36% lie about important matters. One wonders who draws the line to determine the difference between the two. 86% lie regularly to their parents. 75% lie regularly to friends, 73% to siblings, and 69%, we're talking about the family, 69% of Americans claim that they lie to their spouses. USA Today poll found that only 56% of Americans teach honesty to their children. A Lewis Harris poll turned up a distressing fact. 65% of high school students would cheat on on an important exam. And those are all stats, and you know how dry stats are. It's not the stats that bother me. What bothers me is the, the, the heart, what's below. Recently, a noted physician appeared on a network news and talk show, and he proclaimed this, quote, Lying is an important part of social life, 
And children who are unable to do it are children who may have developmental problems. Excuse me? In other words, if your children don't know how to lie, they may be backward. They may not be able to function in the world. Most Americans wouldn't say that, but you know what? If, if 91% say they lie about matters they consider trivial, don't they have the same philosophy that this doctor has? I'm sure if you ask these Americans, they would say that there was a reason for their lies. There is something in their situation that called for a, a, a falsehood. And many Americans would say, my lies are innocent lies, little white lies. But as Austin O'Malley said, those who think it's permissible to tell white lies soon become colorblind. So the idea that's first been sold to us is the concept of situation ethics. The situation dictates what is truth and what is error, what is right and what is wrong. The second one is the one that makes me most nauseous. And that is, there is a personal sliding scale of truth. In that the idea is, you have your truth and I have my truth. And what is true for you might not be true for me. Isn't that trendy? It's just, it's delightful in the afternoon talk shows. And don't they set off the idiot alert, amen? You have what's right for you may not be right for me. And what's right for me may not be right for you. I got my truth. You got your truth. Everything's on a sliding scale anyway. It's all grays. There's nothing black and white. But folks, it's all a lie. Truth does exist. And God says, Christian, put off the lies and tell the truth. Are you a person of truth? Am I a person of truth? I ask that because the world has been so successful with the two ploys that I've just talked about that they're so in, into us without us even realizing it. Are you a person of truth? You say, Pastor, is it really important? After all, just about everybody lies these days. I saw a list the other day called Famous American Fibs. So they are as follows. The check is in the mail. I'll start my diet tomorrow. We service what we sell. Money cheerfully refunded. <laughs> How about this one? One size fits all. <laughs> this offer limited to the first hundred people who call in. Leave your, <laughs> those of you who've been seeking employment, you'll love this one. Leave your resume and we'll keep it on file. <laughs> I need just five minutes of your time. Your, your table, some of you will encounter this one in a little bit. Your table will be ready in a few minutes. It's not the money. It's the principle. It always is the money. Does it really matter that I be a person of truth? Does it matter? When everybody lies, at least that's the concept of our times, if everybody else lies, does it matter that I tell the truth? Hugely. Hugely. Revelation 21 verse 8 says, But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Yes, it matters. So why then is the truth such a serious thing with God? Why would God put liars in that list there? Why is the truth so serious? It all comes down to origins. See, God is the inventor of truth. All truth goes back to God. God is the source of all things, the creator. 
And since he is the source of all things, truth by definition simply is things as God looks at them. Or things as they are in God's sight. God is the author of all truth. You know that he is the author of your Bible. Your Bible is God's word. But not only is God the author of biblical truth, God's the author of all truth. God is the author of two plus two equals four. He is behind all truth. The book of Titus says God does not lie. Hebrews says God cannot lie. God is truth. On the other hand, Satan is the source of all lies. In the King James Version, the Bible says in John 8, verse 44, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. The NIV translates the last part of the verse this way. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. Listen to this. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. God is the source of all truth, the origin of all truth. Satan is the origin, the source of every lie. Now take any situation in your life where truth is at stake. Who wants you to tell the truth? Who wants you to tell a lie? Any situation in your life, who wants you to believe the truth? Who wants you to believe a lie? See, it's not a sliding scale. It's not a matter of grays, of shades of gray. It's a cut and dried issue. God is the source of truth and Satan is the origin of lies. And so when we tell the truth, we align with God. When we tell a lie, we align with Satan. When we believe the truth, we align with God. When we believe a falsehood, we align with Satan. So now let's factor in sowing seed. How does that fit into what we're discussing this morning? The flesh and the spirit. Simply this. Every time you tell a lie, every time you believe a lie, every time you operate on the basis of a lie, you just drop the seed of the seed in the soil of the flesh, it's going to bring a harvest of death. When you drop the truth, a seed of truth into the soil of your life, there is going to be a harvest of life. Now I know it's 12 o'clock this morning, and I'm going to move as quickly as I can to get finished. But let me say this. Every Christian, every child of God needs to ask four questions this morning. These are so important. Four questions. You ask yourself, and I'll ask myself. Here's question number one. Do I believe the truth? Do I believe the truth? The things that I believe about life, are they true? I mean, we hear messages every day. We get messages from Hollywood. We get messages from Madison Avenue. We get messages from the, from the culture. We get message from edu- messages from education. We get messages on which we base our lives. The question is, are they true? Are they true? How important is it? It's bedrock. The most important issue in your life comes down to what you believe. The Philippian jailer asked Paul how he could be saved. And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. There are people who say it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. In in our age of of so-called tolerance, in our age of, of diversity, we have the idea that it's all right what you believe. As long as as you're sincere, everything's okay. Folks, that's a lie. Jesus said in John 3, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Everybody has things that they believe that are at the core of their existence that frame our lives. And the question that you and I ought to have about those things is, are they true? That's question number one. Question two. 
do I love the truth? Not just do I uh, believe the truth, but do I love the truth? Zechariah chapter 8, verse 19 gives us this simple command. Love truth. Love truth. In the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, the Bible says, They perish because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Do you love the truth? Frankly, it all comes down to this. It comes down to, am I in love with God or am I in love with myself? Let us be totally frank. If I am in love with myself, I will want what I want so bad that the first casualty will be truth. But if you love God, you love what he loves and God loves the truth. Do you love the truth? Okay, question number one, do I believe the truth? Number two, do I love the truth? And now here's the third one. Do I want to hear the truth? This is where I see the breakdown in American Christianity. I say I see the breakdown here. Actually, I think the breakdown occurs in loving the truth. But see, I can't see if you love the truth, and you can't see if I love the truth. That's an internal thing. What you can see pretty quickly is if I want to hear the truth or not. Because that sticks out like a sore thumb if you don't want to hear the truth. Amen? I mean, that's something everybody can spot. If you're a person who can't hear the truth, then everybody sees that. And I have to ask the question, do I want to hear the truth? We live in a generation today that doesn't want to hear the truth unless it makes them feel good. The child of God, I want us to understand something. The truth is not always going to be flattering to you, and the truth is not always going to be flattering to me. But we're foolish if we can't hear the truth. There are three people you don't want to lie. I mean, you don't want anyone to lie to you, but there are three people especially you don't want to lie to. You don't want your lawyer to lie to you because your freedom may be at stake. You don't want your doctor to lie to you because your health may be at stake. And you don't want your preacher to lie to you because your soul is at stake. But we live in an era of time where oftentimes people go into a church situation and what they're wanting is the preacher, the man of God, or the Bible teacher to validate them, to make them feel good about themselves. But a preacher can't always do that, nor can anyone else who is a child of God. Because the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season. Listen to this. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. That's the job of a man of God. That's the job of a born-again Christian. To rebuke, to reprove, to exhort. Do you know what the very next verse says? Listen to this. I believe we're living in the last days, don't you? I mean, I'm listening for the trumpet at any moment. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers... To say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn away their ears from the truth and they will turn aside to myths. And by the way, do you know why they have to pile up the teachers? Because there's no power in a lie. One man can preach the word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit and there's power in it. But you take a lying preacher and there's no power. So you got to pile them up in a big heap. So what is lost in the power can be made up in volume. That's the problem of the last days. We have too many preachers standing in the pulpit who don't give a rip about the truth. All they want to do is to get the, uh, the, uh, you know, the affection and the validation of people. How about you? How about me? Do we want to hear the truth? Do you have to hear 
See, do you have to hear only what you want to hear? Or do you get mad when someone tells you something you don't want to hear? I want, and let me just, let me, let me take a time out. And I want to talk to those of you who have, in love, tried to confront someone. And the Word of God says to speak the truth in love. Amen? Because anytime the truth is spoken in a hostile way, it obviously causes conflict. But I, I'm talking to some of you who have spoken the truth very graciously, very humbly in love, and it wasn't received very well. I just want to tell you something. Take it from somebody who's pastored 25 years and has had to tell a few people through the years things they didn't want to hear. With, a, with someone who doesn't want to hear the truth, they don't care whether you speak the truth in love or you don't speak the truth in love. They just don't want to hear the truth. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 8, never correct a conceited man. He will hate you for it. But if you correct a wise man, he will respect you. Anything you say to a wise man will make him wiser. Whatever you tell a righteous man will add to his knowledge. It's one of those old sayings in life, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. If you're wealthy in wisdom, you will take correction. If you're weak in wisdom, you, you have a difficulty in responding to it. So how about me? How about you? Do we want to hear the truth? Okay, I've asked three questions. All of us are, are dealing with these questions this morning. Uh, do I believe the truth? Number two, do I love the truth? Number three, do I want to hear the truth? And now number four, do I tell the truth? I haven't talked about the home and family until right now at this moment. Husbands, let me ask you a question. Do you tell your wife the truth? You hearing me, husbands? Do you tell your wife the truth? Wives, do you tell your husbands the truth? Not the part you want them to know. That's not what I'm talking about. You say, well, what I tell him is true. That's not what I ask you. Because there are a lot of liars who tell nothing but the truth. They just don't tell the whole truth. See, it's not a matter of telling your wife what you want her to know. I'm asking you, do you tell your wife the truth? Do you tell your children the truth? Do you tell your parents the truth? You say, Pastor, I struggle with this because if I tell the truth, I'm going to have trouble. Like the little boy said after Sunday school, the truth will set you free, but it will get you into a lot of trouble first. <laughs> Church, as much as anything I'm going to preach about this year, the truth is a seed. The truth is a seed. Every time you sow the truth, you can expect a harvest of blessing. See, it's not a matter of just the snapshot of the present. It's looking to the future. See, truth is an investment in the future. It may not be pleasant right now to tell the truth, but it's an investment in the future. It may not be pleasant right now to hear it. You may not want to hear it. It may not make you feel good. It may not make you feel pleasant about yourself. You may not even like your situation, but it's an investment in the future to believe the truth. I don't know who I'm preaching to right now. I, I can't look inside of you. I know I need this as much as you do. I've always been honest with you about this. I'm not a I'm not, a, I'm not perfect in these things. I'm just one lesson ahead of you. 
But I really believe a lot of marriages are suffering today because along the way, people have consistently dropped messages of falsehood in the soil of the marriage, and they're springing up a harvest of death. It has been said that a good marriage is based on trust. That is not entirely true. Because I have known people who have trusted and their trust has been misplaced. It's very close to the truth. A good marriage is not completely based on trust. A good marriage is based on truth. On truth. If your marriage is based on a falsehood, if there's falsehood in the infrastructure of your marriage, it's built on the sand. And don't be surprised when it collapses. And if your marriage collapses because you have perpetuated a falsehood, don't stand around moaning when it collapses like you're being persecuted. Because you're not being persecuted, you're just having a harvest. You say, Pastor, what are you preaching for us to do today? Well, I'm asking you as I'm asking myself to look pretty closely into our hearts because you see, deception is deceptive. And it's tough to sort out and to root out all the deception that's in our lives, myself included. I am just asking you, is it possible for us to become people of truth? People who believe the truth, people who love the truth, people who want to hear the truth, people who tell the truth. Because there's a harvest associated with that. There's a harvest of grace and peace and joy and freedom. Bible students, if I say Psalm 51, what comes to your mind? You know that psalm very well, maybe as well as any other with the exception of maybe Psalm 23. You know what happens in Psalm 51. King David has been sowing seeds of deception. He's been sowing lies. It's hard to believe that such a good man could do this, but he, he, wanted, to, he wanted to have a sexual affair with his next door neighbor. And he did. And a pregnancy resulted. In an attempt to cover it up, he just sowed seeds of deception, had her husband killed. Terrible story. Just deception after deception after deception. David was just engaged in all this, all this falsehood, this deception. And he had a bitter harvest, didn't he? But in the midst of his harvest, he came back to God. And in Psalm 51, he is pouring out his heart to God, asking God to forgive him for the deception that was in his life. It is in verse 6 of Psalm 51 that I think David gets to where we need to be. See, if we think about truth and falsehood, we tend to think about this. What we say, do we tell the truth? How we think about our ears and hearing the truth. But I think David got right to the point when he said, Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. See, that's where it starts. Truth has to be in your heart. Are you a person of truth this morning? Are you a person who believes the truth, loves the truth, wants to hear the truth, tells the truth? 
You say, Pastor, to be honest with you, no. There are at least corners in my life where deception is involved. Well, could I tell you, you don't have to stay that way. You remember the part of the sermon where it says, accept your new identity? I mean, you know, you, know, you could sit here and say, Pastor, I, I just, you just beat me all over the head today. I, I'm, you got me. I'm a liar. I don't tell the truth. So what are you going to do? Persecute me? No, I just want to tell you, you don't have to stay that way. You're a new person in Jesus Christ. Rise up. Accept your new identity. I am a child of the one who is the author of truth. And praise God from today on, truth is going to be part of my life. I'm going to want to... I'm going to want to believe the truth. I love the truth. I want to hear the truth. I want to tell the truth. From today on, I am in Jesus Christ, a person of truth. And you might not see the harvest today. Like the little boy said, you might get in some trouble first, but there will be a harvest. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these who have gathered here today to hear your word. We want to be people of truth. Cleanse us, God, starting with this pastor, all of us. Cleanse us. Cleanse our hearts. And may we be totally truthful. In Jesus' name, amen.